0: I'm holy in Christ. I know my position in Christ. God sees me in Christ. I'm holy because Christ is holy. Dear listener, does God require mere positional holiness, doing nothing in our heart and character making us actually holy? Good morning and welcome to God's Resistance. God's Resistance is local in Wilkesbury in the Wyoming Valley and spreading elsewhere. If you need someone to talk to or pray with and are interested in joining a small group to help you live as a disciple of Christ, then stay tuned for contact info. My name is Eric Samborski, and I want to thank you for tuning into God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the devil, and the world. You can hear us every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK, 1550 a.m. and 94.7 FM. If you miss the radio program, then look for the God's Resistance podcast on your favorite podcast platform and YouTube at 9 a.m., uh, every Sunday, where these are uploaded, and you're going to find other content on there as well. You can find us at God'sResistance.com and on Facebook, Gab Gab TV, and YouTube at God's Resistance, and that is spelled G O D S R E S I S T A N C E. Make sure to like, follow, and turn on notifications for helpful spiritual content. And we are taking a break from being out in the Wilkesbury Public Square every Sunday until I would say March or April. We kind of have to wait for the weather. Uh, to figure that out, but right now we are meeting in homes. So, if you would like to um, find a place to worship at this moment, please contact us. Uh, you can contact us at gods.resistance at gmail dot com, or give us a call at five seven zero three six two seventy seven eighty two. That number can also receive texts. Now, let's listen in on today's briefing. We are now picking up in our series again that Leslie Wilcox books, uh, book that I had mentioned before, Be Ye Holy, excellent book. Again, a plug for it. Um, try Look online, you can order it. It will be extremely valuable and helpful to you in walking uh, with God in full surrender and to have a pure heart by faith in Jesus Christ. Um, so we've kind of already established that God does want holiness. He requires holiness. It's not just God asks uh, us to be holy, please, and then maybe some will do it and some won't. But holiness is normal for a Christian. That is normal for somebody who has received the salvation of Jesus Christ. Now, God makes provision for accomplishing that work of holiness in human hearts it's not that God says, be ye holy. And by the way, it's impossible and laughs at us basically by giving us some impossible standard. God asks us to be holy because we can be holy and he makes it possible through his son, through the spirit of God, through faith in him. So the question today is, if that is true <clears throat> and God can make us holy, then what does that work of grace that work of sanctification in the heart, um, the second work of grace to be filled with the spirit of God. What does that do for a person? There's a lot of different crazy ideas. There's two different extremes really, which everything boils down into. And one is, as was alluded in the introduction, uh, positional holiness. Basically that uh human's character cannot be actually cleansed, but God just kind of pretends Through the merits of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross, that even though our hearts are still defiled and sinful, that God just kind of sees us uh, as Christ because of some positional sanctification. That's one extreme. The other extreme is that God makes us like angels, some kind of angelic perfection, uh, where there's no imperfections in us at all. There's no failures. There's no mistakes. Um, We are just absolutely perfect. Both of those, the positional holiness, and then that kind of absolute or angelic perfection are not found in the scripture as it relates to uh, redeemed people, you and I. So what does God do for us when he makes us holy is a question that you and I need to, to know and understand so far as the scripture is concerned, because God does require holiness. He requires it. So, We are interested to find out what God tells us in his word about this. So uh, today we're speaking about deliverance from sin, Uh, not deliverance from the practice of sin, not deliverance from committing sins. When you're saved, this already is the saved experience of a Christian. They are delivered from the practice of sin. They're not living in their sinful life anymore. They have victory over it. But the born-again Christian, the saved Christian, does also realize that there is a fountain within them, and that is something that, as they, with all their hearts, want to serve Christ, realize that there's something that's working inside of them that is contrary to their highest desires. And so we are going to be talking about not deliverance from the practice of sin or the committing sins, but deliverance from the disposition of sin, the bent in my heart towards it. Um, the bent in my heart that perhaps still causes that um, selfishness, that carnal anger, uh, the the jealousies and things that are not right, that all of those emotions, by the way, anger, jealousies, and, and probably a whole other list of things that I don't really ha- have time to deal with at this moment, though we may at another time, those are all in and of themselves, not evil emotions, but because of the disposition of sin are twisted, warped, and bent for evil. So we are going to be looking at that today. So let's just jump right into it. Um, We are starting then in looking at the necessity for cleansing. And the necessity for cleansing arrives from the fact that carnality still remains in the heart of a person who's been born again. Uh, Let's look at some verses here. John chapter 15, verse 2. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, that is God, the husbandman. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. So here we find that if we're to apply this to salvation, everybody that is not bearing fruit, God takes away, but everyone that bears fruit, and this is speaking of a Christian, excuse me, every, every, everyone that's a Christian, a real Christian bears fruit. But he's saying there's something deeper and more that he does to the Christian and through the Christian and for the Christian that's bearing fruit. He says with that one, he doesn't cast that person away, but he purges it or prunes that, that, that Christian, that it may bring forth more fruit. There is a purging that haps, happens, that purging is that sanctifying work of the spirit of God to make us a different person, to make us more like Christ, to make us filled with the spirit, full of Christ. So we find that in John 15, too, in that whole parable about abiding in the vine. Then we look at John 17, verses 9, and then verse 17. Uh, so there's a little bit of a gap in there, just trying to pull these two thoughts together, even though there's some verses in between them. He says, I pray for them. This is Jesus speaking. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So this helps us with two different things here. Jesus is praying for his disciples, but then he clarifies it for us right now that he's not praying just for the disciples that were right there in front of him, but for anybody who's been given to him, for they are thine is given to Christ, and there's another place in here, uh, and, and I, th- I believe it's in the same chapter where he's saying, I pray for those, not only these that are that are my disciples immediately, but I pray for those that will hear their words. And here you and I are, if we have the Bible, we hear the words of the disciples of the apostles. And this is what he says, sanctify them or make them holy through thy truth because thy word is truth. Your God's word has a sanctifying power in it. So we're looking at this, again, the necessity for cleansing arise, uh, arises from the fact that carnality still remains in the heart of a person who has been born again. These disciples that Jesus was praying for then at that time, and any that would hear uh, of the disciples' words in the future, um, i.e. the Bible, he is praying for believers. He says, I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me. So this is distinctly different from sinners. He's saying, I pray for them that they be sanctified through the truth. Now, if they were already fully sanctified, why would he say this after the fact? He's saying it because there is a problem that the cross of Christ is meant to take care of. The issue in present-day Christianity is that most of what we read and hear stops short of this. So we have a lot of baby um, Christians that are, are all over the place because we haven't received the fullness of what Christ had done on the cross. It's one work. It's one thing that he's purchased, but we've only taken a part of it. And he wants to give us the whole of it, which is himself, which is holiness of heart and life. Let's move on to 1 Corinthians 3, one. Remember, uh, the Bible speaks of a need even after one is saved. Here, 1 Corinthians 3, one. this is probably the most explicit and clear one. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. So this is something I've heard people try to explain this away in a sense by saying there's no such thing as a carnal Christian. However, the New Testament is very clear that there is. Why would Paul call these Corinthians babes in Christ if they were not in fact? In Christ. If they were not born again, why would he call them babes in Christ? The logical explanation is, is that they were babes in Christ. They were really saved, born-again believers. And he's saying that they are carnal and not spiritual. There was something more that needed to be done in these believers. Carnality, therefore, we find is still existent in a believer. Then we read in Second Corinthians 7:1. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So this is a command to believers to have a deeper cleansing and a perfecting work, perfecting holiness or completing holiness in the fear of God. Now, we aren't cleansing ourselves in that we're making ourselves holy. We What we're doing is separating ourselves from anything that's not right, but then also we are at this point making the consecration. We're laying down our all to God so that God can do in us the very thing that Jesus died to do for his church. So these are just a few um, examples or a few uh, portions in scripture that help us to see this point, but the necessity for cleansing arises from the fact that carnality still remains in the heart of a person who has been born again. Those scriptures are very clear about that. So, okay, now what? The cleansing or deliverance from sin is described in various different ways. Remember, the first question that we asked is, what does this work of holiness in our heart, what does it even do for us? Uh, Because if we don't have a right conception of what it does for us, we can be so confused that First of all, we don't live up to our privilege. Second of all, we've got a really wrong expectation of what it is and never can sanely arrive to this uh, this place of holiness that God wants to bring us to. And I don't mean to say arrive to this place as if somehow we get to this epic of spiritual life and then we coast on because it's a dynamic walk with God and we still walk with him and keep walking with him. What I mean to say is that we need to have a very clear objective before us Otherwise, we don't know what we're seeking and we don't know when we have obtained it. Um, This work of God in, in holiness or deliverance from sin, it is a cleansing, a purifying, and a purging work. Isaiah 6, 7. The prophet says, And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. So a disposition of sin, something deeper than just iniquity is the the act or the things that I've done, um, and then my sin purged is that disposition of sin. I think we're going to get to this in one of the Psalms a little bit later, and if we don't, well, maybe I'll just bring it up now in case I I, um, I feel like it may be in here, but I don't know. So let me just bring it up here. Um, David said um, that he needed to not only have his sins forgiven, but his heart needed to be cleansed. He said, renew in me a right spirit, O God. Cleanse me from that. Cleanse thou me from secret faults, he even said. There was something deeper than just, you know, these past sins. It was that plus the disposition to do so. John 15, 2 says, every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it that it may bring forth more fruit. We already referenced this before, saying that there was carnality in the heart of a believer afterwards. But here we find again, more forwardly, what is being said, the purging. There is a purging work done when God delivers us from sin. So there is a purging as we read uh, of that sin, that disposition of sin. If we look in Acts 15, 9, then we find we're talking about the purifying work of the Spirit of God in uh, affecting holiness or sanctifying. And Peter was saying to the Jerusalem council, and God put no difference between us and them, Cornelius the Gentiles, purifying their hearts by faith. So here is a purifying work. Also Ephesians 5.26, that he might sanctify, that is Christ, might sanctify and cleanse it, the church, with the washing of water by the word. So we find sanctify. Now, remember, we had gone through this in some of the earlier um, lessons or whatever you want to call them where sanctifying when it's applied to objects is talking about setting apart. But when God when we sanctify something, we're setting it apart. When God is sanctifying a person and not just an object being sanctified, he is making it holy. So it's not just set apart. There's far more than just setting apart. It's making holy. And so we're told that Jesus will make holy and cleanse the church with the washing of water by the word which helps us to realize I've got to be inside of his Bible if I want to be holy, if I want to be like him. Uh, 2 Timothy 2.21, if a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, made holy, and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. So we do the purging of ourselves selves of things. We are separating things, uh, ourselves for God's use and things away from us that are not right. And then God sanctifies us and makes us meet or acceptable for his use, prepared to do God's work because he removes that carnal bent inside of the soul. Uh, Titus 2.14, who gave himself for us, that is Jesus, praise God, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works, purifying us. I just want to say, dear listener, I'm not trying to make the scriptures say more than what they really do, but when we think about pure um, in anything in life, if you want pure gold, you don't want 99.8% gold, you want 100% gold, that's what you're paying for. When you want pure orange juice, you don't want orange juice with a little bit of something else in it. I want orange juice, just pure orange juice. You know, when when we see the word "pure" on anything that we are considering to purchase, we expect that what we're buying is pure, right? And if it wasn't, we would have grounds to go back and and re, um, request that our money be refunded because we had been led astray by you using the word "pure" and us not receiving pure. Um, and so, I I just want to encourage you that. We don't try and use a different lens now because of theological frameworks that perhaps we have been uh, saved under or, or are currently in that make God's word to none effect. He says that he is going to purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. So either pure means pure or it doesn't, and we have to wrestle with that. And I I would just tell you, as you go through this, you realize pure does mean pure. And the only wrestling that has to be done at that point is whether or not my will and heart is going to be surrendered to God or I'm going to persist uh, to go in my own way and give way to the carnal flesh. Uh, Now, James chapter four, verse eight. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. So that's the uh, confession, forsaking and repenting of sin actions of sins and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. So here is a purifying work further than just us being forgiven of our sins, but a purifying work that is done in our hearts, purifying. First Peter 1.22 says, seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren or genuine love of the brethren, See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. So there it is twice. Purified your soul's love with a pure heart fervently. There is purity for the believer. John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another in the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. Remember, cleansing, purifying, purging, cleanseth us from just this one sin I committed or from all sin, and when sins is not plural, that is encompassing the disposition of sin as well. He cleanseth us from all sin. There's not anything left out of that. 1 John 3, 3. And every man that hath this hope in him, in Christ, purifieth himself, even as he is pure. How pure is Christ is the question. Is he, is he 50% pure or is he 100% pure? We're told that if we have the hope that we're going to see him, that we are going to purify ourselves even as Christ is pure that we will be pure like Christ i don't know how i don't know how we can read a scripture like that and try to get out from under what it says if we are just to come at this like a child it says what it says and lord make it real in me should be our heart's cry and prayer um let's move on to the condition produced by this purifying and that's described as purity or cleanness. So we've said that there is cleansing, purifying, sanctifying. Those are the terms used to describe what is being done. But what, what is this state described as after it's been done? And here's where I was talking about before, Psalm 51.10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. So a clean heart is the effect and a right spirit. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. There is... um. Matthew 5, 8, they're called people that are pure in heart. Philippians 1, 10, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, so that we may be sincere and without offense. So somebody that is without guile, ye are witnesses, and God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. So what's the effect? Holiness, justly. They're, they're acting rightly, uprightly, and unblameably. There's, I can't blame them for doing ill or wrong. This is the effect of the cleansing, purge, purging, sanctifying work of God. And the very God of peace sanctify you holy. So there, God sanctify you wholly or entirely. And then what's the effect of it? I pray, God, your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved or kept blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's going to do something in my heart now that purifies or sanctifies my spirit, soul, and body and preserves or keeps me blameless from that point all the way until Jesus comes back or I die and leave this life. Uh, James 3, 17. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. This is wisdom that comes down from God and then flows from us. Instead of the wars and the fightings that were happening amongst these Jews that were saved, there's a pure heart. Pure wisdom, purity that trickles down into every other facet of their being, and then we see them in this state, a state of wisdom, purity, peaceableness, gentleness, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, not being partial, not hip, not hypocritical. We see that as the effect of this purifying work. second uh, peter three fourteen Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found in him. Uh, found of him in peace without spot and blameless. He says, uh, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you're found of him. So here it is. We in that state of purity can be people that are found in peace with God without spot and blameless. If, If this was impossible, then Peter is just mocking us by writing what he did. This deliverance is also called sanctification and its result is to make the soul holy or clean. So according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, that he might sanctify and cleanse the church with the washing of water by the word, that he might present the church to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. To the end, he may, he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. So the result is holiness. Not Some people say holiness happens at death, but death is the last enemy. Death isn't our friend. Death doesn't Death isn't more strong than the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ makes us holy. Death is just the end of this life, and he's overcome death. So, this deliverance is called sanctification, and its result is to make the soul holy or clean. The deliverance is sometimes described as a crucifixion or as a death to sin. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized in Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him that the body of sin might be destroyed? that henceforth we should not serve sin. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, that I may know him in the fellowship of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. For ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. This experience is described as a rest. Illustrations of this rest are to be found in the Sabbath and in the entrance of the Israelites into Canaan. So refer to the entirety of Hebrews chapter three and four and Jesus' statement, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. A rest. then. The result of this experience is freedom from sin. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. Being then made free from sin, it already happened, ye became the servants of righteousness. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and and the end everlasting life. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. So we see this freedom, this deliverance, this rest from this problem that we had. And the explanation of this deliverance From sin, and I'm not sure how far we're going to be able to get into it. Some people say it's counteraction. It's like there's the good and the bad in us, and we just need to have uh, the good outweigh the bad, and we'll and we'll kind of counteract or overcome. But the Bible speaks of something that is more uh, more under the term of uh, eradication, uh, the removal of something. The term eradication is not found in the Scripture, but the idea behind the term is this term adequately sets forth the scriptural truth of removal of sin from the soul. So there's some modern objections. Carnality is not a physical entity. So cut down the tree, but we also need to pull up the roots. And this takes the illustration farther than it's intended. It's not a physical entity. It's a corruption of the heart. The use of the term eradication seems to indicate that it would be impossible for sin ever to return to a soul from which this had been removed. However, this is never implied by a true preacher of holiness. Cannot weeds be eradicated from a garden and the seed of a weed be reintroduced to the garden at a later time? When Adam and Eve, uh, weren't Adam and Eve completely holy and yet they sinned and sin was introduced into their holy hearts, even though they didn't have sin in there, they were perfect before God. Think about uh, infection. Infection not a foreign body inside of a physical system. It produces physical manifestations and it's simply a wrong condition of the physical system. So an infection can be removed, but it could also have the infection again at a later time. That is possible. Uh, scriptural illustration: sin is like a disease of the body. We read that in Isaiah, from the sole of the foot, even unto the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and and bruises and putrefying sores, they have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. Sin is to be purged as dross from metal, and I will turn my hand upon thee and purely purge away thy dross and take away all thy tin, Isaiah 125. Sin is to be removed as a stain. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool, Isaiah 1, 18. Sanctification is a death to sin, as was previously referenced. Sanctification is a rest, previously referenced Hebrews 3 and 4. Sanctification is called a destruction of sin knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. So dear listener, where are you? Have you received this sanctifying work of God? Did you think it impossible that this should happen? And what will you do with the scriptures that we've just gone through? Your next step is to call 570-362-7782. Introduce yourself to me. I'd love to get together and meet with you sometime. Follow our social media accounts: Facebook, Gab, Gab TV, Twitter, YouTube. Tell your friends about this radio broadcast. But above all, join the resistance, God's resistance. <laughs> Special thank you to Spectacular Sound Productions for giving permission for the use of the song Heroes and Monsters, which was edited and used in part on this production. The permission was granted under attribution share Alike 4.0 international creative commons license. That license may be found at https colon forward slash forward slash forward slash licenses forward slash by hyphen essay, slash 4.0 forward slash, legal code.